transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. Welcome everybody to another edition of Match Report. I'm Jack and I'm here with Manny. Manny, how you doing? I'm doing good, brother. How you doing, bro? Pretty good. How's, uh, how's the international break treating you? You know what? It's just it's usually a time to just sit back, relax, reflect on what's been happening in club football. I don't really take international football too serious, if I'm honest. Um, once you know, you know the the big teams are qualified for the next um, competition, you kind of just it's kind of like friendlies, to be honest. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to have a break from from club football. Definitely as a United fan, um, but uh, there always seems to be some sort of news in football that breaks out during international international weeks. Uh, I feel like the media uses opportunity to to throw out some headlines. Um, obviously, one of the biggest ones for United was our CEO getting sacked or walking out, however, however way you want to look at it. Um, my thoughts on it, to be honest, the whole club from top bottom probably needs to start again and everyone needs to leave and start from, start from scratch. Um, I've read a lot of different opinions on him. Um, some people say he was, he was a big supporter of the Glazers. Others say not so much. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it is showing that Potentially, there is going to be some some major changes in terms of ownership and structure. Uh, someone like him is leaving. Um, we do have obviously uh, got the guy's name, but someone that's coming in as a take, uh, caretaker CEO before we appoint a permanent one. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the stock market, we're, we're looking at the shares of the United prices, um, ha- have made major changes uh, during that news, um, and it looks like so Jim Ratcliffe will probably be the one taking over. And then taking over sporting, um, sporting direction for United in, in in the short term until a full takeover of the club. But yeah, it's uh, just do you want to say it's just it's one news after the other with United. So not not too much to make of it just yet. What was your thoughts? Yeah, I think that interim CEO is uh, or chief executive is Patrick Stewart. Um, I don't know a ton about his background. I, it's interesting you bring up you know, Radcliffe eventually taking over, which seems possible. But I think in the short term, it's whether he has that that sporting control is real, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think the last two chief executives that have been there both came from the commercial side where both were actually very successful. I mean, United have never stopped printing money, uh, selling jerseys all over the world. But it's a different thing to manage the, the football side. And I wrote about this on the football weekend on Friday, but, you know, Arsenal had the same issue for Mm. years after they had a, you know, legendary manager who sort of held the club together leave. They, instead of, of changing the organization to adapt, they tried to just fill this unfillable hole Mm. in uh, the club. And I've seen the same thing at, at United where you have a succession of chief executives who, they don't seem to have they have power over the football side but they don't seem to exercise it at all which leads to yeah. you know managers you know with their heads cut off and so i think you know the, the most hopeful part of all this is the idea that there will be real leadership at the level above the manager mm. uh, to prevent the kind of scattergun signings that <laughs> that we've seen yeah. i mean i mean 
a lot of the signings we've had in the past, you have really questioned whether it was for sporting reasons or for commercial reasons. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I mean, for me with United, I'm, I'm, I'm really taking a step back and just seeing how are we actually going to take, how are we going to plan and, and, and take the, the club forward over the next five, ten years? Because short term, we might win a trophy here and there, but are we going to build a, a, real, a real club and a real identity again? Um, but yeah, it definitely does start from the top. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sad to see, to see him go. Um, there's quite a few at the top. I think need to go. I mean, to completely replace the hierarchy with with the right people in the right positions. The finance guys should stay in finance, and the sporting people should be leading the club sporting wise. And that goes in with making decisions on the manager. So as a club, we need to decide how we want to play, what kind of style of football we want to play, what kind of players we want to attract, what ethos do we want at the club, and then we find. A manager that fits that during that process it may come out that Ten Hag is not the right manager it may be that he is um, and then we need to start recruiting in the same manner we need to be recruiting with five years in advance not you know we need to just get a striker in who's who's available who can we throw money at you know and and, and hope for the best yeah I mean the the recruitment was weird even at managerial level where mm. you know Ralph Rangnick was brought in in, in November of 2021 as an interim manager until the end of the season. So in one fell swoop, they, they appointed a manager, but also sort of stripped him of authority in the dressing room where a few months <laughs> no later, Fred, yeah, Fred is talking to ESPN Brazil, or I think uh, TNT Sports Brazil, about how there's a lack of long-term vision. They know the manager's going to be gone. And so you have this, you know, players run amok, this player power issue. Again, yeah. uh, the parallels at Arsenal are crazy with Ozil and Obama Yang and the succession of guys that were making 350,000 pounds a week when they, yeah. you know, their, their thirst for the game had passed. And I think you see it again now with actually with much younger players at United. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that does bring us to what I had to ask you about, which was the, yeah. the list I saw a couple days ago of the eight most expensive signings uh, since 2018 at Manchester United, and I, I wanted to get your your thoughts on I'm, a few of these. I'm not looking forward to this already. But yeah, go on. <laughs> Let, let's start. Let's start with number eight. Number eight is Fred. Speak of the devil from Shakhtar Donetsk for 59 million euros. Uh, how would you rate him as a signing, and how that turned out? <sighs> Fred was hit and miss for us. I think. A lot of players on this list are probably going to be hit and miss. Um, in the right system, for the right game, Fred was, was definitely effective and useful. And there's one thing we couldn't, as a fan, like knock him for was his effort and his work rate. Um, I don't think he had the technical ability to be a starting midfielder for Man United. Um, I think, you know, there was a lack of quality in that department and across the whole squad. So... He was thrust upon a lot more and trusted a lot more than his ability probably deserved. But, I mean, 52 million, 59 million, sorry, probably worked out about 50-odd million pounds. Not great business, but not terrible business. Um, and I think he, he was more of a hit than a miss for me. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think he kept things ticking over for the most mm -hmm. part when he was in there. Um, next up, though... For all the talk of Kai Havertz, we have Mason Mount at 64.2 yeah. million euros. Uh, how would you assess him so far? 
Um, too soon, really. I do like his profile. Um, I'm, I don't think his profile suits our team. But I'm going to trust the manager that he's trying to transition us into that high-press, high, highly functional, direct team that, that presses from the front, wins the ball back in, you know, higher up the pitch um, and provides constant pressure on, on opposition so that we can keep attacking and, and, and keep going at, uh, at teams. Um, and then when we transition the other way going back, you know, we've got the positional play and we've got the, the, the athleticism to, to win the ball back. So I think... If that's where we're going towards, Mason Mount makes sense. Um, I was a little bit underwhelmed at the time in the fact that we were chasing him for so long. But I think it's too soon at the moment. I've seen enough to say it could work, but there's so much more United need. And I think the team structure and team shape needs to change a lot more to allow someone like Mason Mount to be effective and eventually mm-hmm. a good a good signing. Uh, next up... I'm not sure why ESPN UK has these all in euros, but Bruno Fernandez at 65 million euros in this. Fantastic. Fantastic. Probably our best signing, mate, for a long, long, long time. Probably our best signing post Ferguson for sure. Um, Yeah, worth every penny, captain. Um, He can be frustrating at times, but for creative players in the final third, it happens. You know, you like him to be a bit calmer in possession sometimes and just keep the ball. But for the amount of goals and assists and his output and sometimes even clutch moments where he's been a deciding factor in games for us, I'd rather have him having high-risk passes than, you know, trying to, you know, get pass completion stats at the end of the game. So, Fernandez for me, smashing sign-in, best sign-in post-Fergie. Happy with that. Yeah, he's a match winner for sure. Yeah. Uh, Casemiro for 70.65 million euros from Real Madrid. Casemiro and Varane, right? I'm going to lump them together. I don't think Varane will be on that list. Um, But Real Madrid don't sell a player that is going to do much after. That's that's been been history. That's been... um, I think the only player probably that went on to do something was Robin after he leaving Real Madrid. But in general, especially at, at the age that both of them were, it was a sign that didn't make sense. Again, United making signings for the then and now and not for three, four years. Casemiro was always going to need to be replaced within two years. Unfortunately, within 18 months already, he's looking like he hasn't got the legs for the Premier League. That first season that he was at United, fantastic. Best player alongside Bruno, alongside Rashford. Uh, he brought a calmness and an experience and just that, that winning mentality. And we won a trophy under him, so you can't knock him for that. But in terms of investment, £72 million to get one season out of a player, that's poor planning. Yeah, plus whatever those wages are, I can only imagine. Exactly. He's probably him. our I mean, highest paid player as well. So, yeah. Yeah, he's getting paid enough that to go off the cliff in one summer... It can't happen. You, you know, can't. he didn't look fit when he came back. No, no. Yeah. Well, next up, another, it's going to be another pretty soon to call, but Rasmus uh, Hoyland. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, he, similar to Mount, I've seen enough of his potential, enough of what he brings to the side for him to be, you know, a, a good potential signing. Um, he's very young. 
Um, he's got a great pedigree in Europe already. So if you can perform in Europe um, against, you know, established European sides, then it's only going to be a matter of time before he starts, you know, hit hit it running in, in the Premier League. So I've got no worries about that. 72 million is expensive, but hey, that's the price a lot of the time for hot emerging talents um, in Europe, especially when it's a, a top club like United. So time will tell. Yeah, I, li- I like the look of him. And, you know, Victor Osman could go for twice twice that, uh, yeah. you know, especially if he goes in January. But in this next summer, uh, it could get could get uh, be another Todd Bowley special on that one. Exactly. Uh, you got Jaden Sancho next from Borussia Dortmund, 85 million euros. Sancho, Sancho, Sancho. <laughs> Man, I don't remember being so excited for a player. Like, the Sancho that we all saw at Dortmund had every fan, like, just licking their lips and just being like, here's finally not just the name, but someone that has the swagger, someone that has the ability, someone that can really take us to that next level, take the burden off of Fernandez and Rashford and just bring some star quality into our team. And the age, perfect. He has time to develop further and really grow with us um, into becoming a world-class player. It's gone completely the other way. And I don't know how much of that is United or how much of that is the player himself. Probably, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, but I, I'm so disappointed, man. So, so, so disappointed in Sancho. Um, again, his wages are incredibly high. He just, I think he's probably, he hasn't nailed down a, a position in, in our side, which hasn't helped. Um, and I think he doesn't have the explosiveness and the athleticism to, to succeed, which was surprising because in European games against PSG, against Barca, you saw him taking on players being explosive, but Again, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's the physical demands of the league week in, week out. Um, not nailing down a position, maybe not working hard enough. A lot of reports have come out that throughout his career, he's someone that's always late, someone that doesn't put in the right you know, amount of, of effort and, and work rate. But you can't deny the talent there. So he's probably going to be a player that leaves, goes to you know an, another European side and smashes it. But yeah, big disappointment. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, next up is Harry Maguire from Leicester City for 87 million euros. Oh, I hate this list, man. <laughs> I hate this list. That's, that's number two, so we're almost done. Yeah. <laughs> um, under Oli, Maguire, Maguire did well. You can't deny that. He did well, did great in the Euros for England. Um, and at the time, the fee was, was extremely high. But it was at the point where I didn't actually care. It was, are we getting someone that's going to be better than what we currently have? Uh, those you know, obvious comparisons between his price and Van Dijk and how both of their careers have turned out and how the fortunes for the clubs they've signed for have, have turned out. So it was always tough, tough for Maguire. But if he had been bought for 50 mil, 45 I think he would have got a lot, a lot more praise in the first couple of years of his of his career at United, and I think the criticism he's had since then would have been a lot less. Um, he's, he's, there's a great player there. Uh, I'm not sure if he's uh, again that world class, United level player on the same, you know, the same level as the Vidic's and the you know, Steve Bruce and, and and that kind of thing. But 
he's definitely shown that he's dependable when in good form. But for obviously for the amount of money, you've got to be better than that. He should have gone to West Ham. It would have been a great move for him. You know, Perfect. banging around in the top half, giving mm-hmm. all kinds of teams a problem. But, you know, he shouldn't really be playing, you know, champ- in the Champions League for Manchester United. Yeah. But, you know, in those in that kind of bracket, it, it could work for him. Maybe next summer. Well, I think we'll see yeah. on that. Um, <laughs> last but certainly least, Anthony <laughs> from Ajax. For 95 million euros. That's crazy. It's our most expensive signing. You must be our most expensive signing ever, or was Lukaku higher? Yeah, Lukaku, it might have been the 90s. Probably, yeah. you know, comparable. <sighs> I just. <laughs> Anthony is. Anthony is, is someone that. They didn't deserve the price tag. Never shown the ability or the or even the potential to reach that price tag. He would have cost half of that amount earlier in the summer when Ajax were open open to selling him. Um, he's a one trick pony. He, I don't know, like his his highest goals and assists record at, at Ajax was I think twelve or or fifteen. So he was never buying someone that was going to be that 30, 40 goal or 30 GA, you know, player. So, I mean, he does well defensively. He he understands the manager and he provides good width and good cover. And But none of that speaks to being that amount of money. So even if he was 40 million, even if he was 30 million, he's still a poor signing. I mean, compare him to Dan James and you probably go with Dan James. He's had more of an impact for us. So that one just you need to forget about it. Put it in a bin and just just die again. Yeah, I'm again. I'm unsure what his job is on the pitch, and I I think you know uh, Jaden Sancho's problems are related to the Anthony situation because th- this is similar to what I said the other week about you know questions about the meritocracy in the Arsenal squad mm. when players play when they don't deserve to play that creates disharmony in the group. And I just wonder, yes, there's reports, you know, Sancho's always showed up late to training, all of that. But does anything drive a winger crazier than watching an inferior winger play every week, even though he never even takes on his fullback? I mean, that would drive me crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I have to back the manager on, on this, that when he has been stubborn, players that have put their head down he's given them the opportunity to come back. So no one thought Maguire would now be benching Varane. Mm. You know, we thought he'd be left in the wilderness. Um, and, and, and he's shown that, that, okay, if you put your head down, then I, I'll trust you if you can prove it. That's all Sancho had to do. Sancho just be 100% in training. Come on, you'd known to show half as much as, as Anthony has done. And you're going to be in that team. But <sighs> Palestri had a go. Garnacho is now starting. Like Garnacho was was scolded by players and manager during preseason for his lack of, of work rate. And the mm. kid put his head down and he's now starting every week. Like that's what you would expect from, you know, a, a professional, especially someone that's been in the game um, as long as Sancho and is paying, you know, he's been paid, sorry, the amount of money that he is. The, the least you can do is show effort and, and, and apply yourself. 
So I don't think it would have taken long or much for him to to take over from Anthony. Um, and that, that was the words of the manager, that it was even younger players that showed more in training in that Arsenal, leading up to the Arsenal game. So he put them on the, on the bench ahead of him. It's, for me, that's a, that's a weak mentality to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Garnacho should be starting every match for, for United at the moment. I mean, I, just to wrap it up, I have to ask the direct question. Is <laughs> Anthony the worst signing in the history of the Premier League? Of the Premier League? I think when you take in consideration the price tag, 100%. Um, in terms of ability, I mean, worst players have been signed, um, mm-hmm. even for our club. So I, I don't think he's the, he's the worst on, on, on ability, but definitely um, due, due to the exuberant uh, fees, then yeah, probably in, in, in history. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of spending a ton of money, mm-hmm. we come to Everton Football Club, who were charged this week with a 10-point deduction for financial improprieties that from what I understand it, it was they went about twenty million pounds over their yeah. limit, which doesn't yeah. seem like a lot in today's that's like a rounding error in today's game. Yeah. Um I mean do you share Jamie Carragher's, you know, reaction that this is an excessive penalty or is it spot on for you? Um I mean, to be honest, I haven't looked at, you know, the, the exact ruling um, and the sanctions and, and, and what threshold needs to be met. Um, for me, it's all about fairness. So they've set a precedence now. Um, that 20 million doesn't sound a lot to me. Um, they've admitted it as well, uh, which usually goes in your favour when you are getting, you know, a sentence. Um, and they're, I mean, they're trying to rectify it. So... 10-point deduction immediately as well, just it does seem very harsh. Um, but the only way, I guess, the FA can, can save face with this is this is now going to be your stance for every club. Um, well, we all know that City have 115 charges pending. That's been over a year, been investigated. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. Chelsea have now got a charge as well. So uh, I, I think it's harsh when you look at the context of other clubs. But um, I guess rules are rules, and if it's broken, it's, I don't know, man. It's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, it feels a bit harsh, but yeah, they did break the rules, and they have been spending an incredible amount of money. In the the last five years, I think they're in the top five, maybe even top four teams in in terms of spending, and that's gotten them into repeated relegation battles. I mean... You talk about executive malpractice at <laughs> Manchester United, but Everton surely are leading the way as the worst run club. It's like the anti-Brighton. <laughs> it's, like, it's like if you did a bizarro version of Brighton, the exact opposite you get uh, Everton Football <laughs> Club. I mean, with if, if we take it as gospel that, you know, their appeal yeah. will fail and they'll be, you know, they're 10 points worse off now. I think they're on four points back in the relegation zone. Are they going to get relegated now for you? If there wasn't for the manager that they have, then I'll probably say yes. But that guy, he can work miracles. Um, and they do have a decent squad. Uh, I don't think they their squad deserves to be relegated. Um, and, you know, they've actually been, been doing quite well this season. So irrespective of the ban, I think that the players in the club should be able to value themselves and, and, and just even spur them on a little bit. 
to, to securing uh, security um, and, and stay up in the league. But I actually don't think they'll get relegated. Um, I hope they don't as well. But they've been, yeah, like you said, terribly run for, for years, sacked managers left, right and centre, paid out, um, you know, all, all, all sorts to very, very mediocre players as well. Um, so I guess it's, it's a bit of karma, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I actually, even yeah. coming into the season, I was in your boat where I was like, Sean Dyche will get the 40 points. And in fact, I, I thought they could settle into lower mid-table, you know, maybe a 12th to 14th. Um, I still think they'll survive. I, I think there are a couple teams in this league that are terrible. And yeah. Everton can get results. They, they can score from set pieces. They've got some big bodies in there. They actually are very athletic in the middle of the park. You know, when I was writing about a, pre a preview for the football weekend for the Merseyside Derby a few weeks back, what, maybe yeah. a month back, whatever it was, um, I thought that they could pose more problems for Liverpool with that physicality they have. They can cover a lot of ground. They don't have a goal scorer, really. Um, their wing play, not amazing, although I think Jack Harrison was a very astute signing. That's, mm -hmm. that's an example of, like, who to spend money on in this league some guy who has an established track record of registering goals and assists at the top level or at least at the yeah. premier league level yeah so yeah i think that they'll survive um and i think that's a good opportunity to bring in our relegation predictions uh mm -hmm. to see who's going through the trap door instead uh yeah. what what does your bottom three look like it's i think Luton will place Everton. So I think the, the clubs that got promoted, unfortunately, which how it normally works out, um, will will go down. I think Burnley have been massively underwhelming, um, especially from all the hype around um, Vincent Company's team and the kind of football that they were playing in a championship to, yeah, I, I don't think they've won. Yeah, they haven't won a game. They've lost, um, how many games have they lost? I think they've lost about 10 games. Um, couple of draws, um, or they've got one win at least, I think maybe. But yeah, it's I think Burnley definitely going down. Sheffield United will go down. Luton, I think Luton will go down. Um, I just think some of the other other sides, although they don't have as much much experience in the league, so uh, Fulham have only been you know promoted in the past couple of years, and and Nottingham Forest. They've spent well and they've, and they've bought players that have that pedigree within top flight football. So I think over the course of the season, they will probably stay up likewise with Everton. So my money is probably on the, on the three that got promoted to go down. I have two out of three. Um, I actually think Luton will be the Cinderella story of this season and survive mm. at, to be promptly relegated next season. But <laughs> I think they'll survive this time around. I think, you know, as you say, Burnley, I th it's another sort of bizarro situation where it, uh, they're doing an anti-Sean Dyche, their former manager. I think there's a real lack of pragmatism. Um, yeah. I, I know that they, they really, they scored like 100 goals in the championship last season. An incredible record, but it's just a different division. I mean, the center backs that you're up against are different. The, the fullbacks are different. I just don't. I don't see it for them. And and I, Sheffield, Sheffield United, I think are not long for this world either. Who I think will join them is Bournemouth, who from really? okay. day one in this in this season, I thought part of this is that I think Gary O'Neill 
was hard done by and losing his job. But also the new the new guy Iriola, I haven't seen it from them. And if you if you dive into it a little bit, they've conceded twenty seven goals already, which mm. is more than anybody except for Sheffield and Burnley. Yeah, uh, and they haven't scored many either. They've scored eleven. They've scored mm. one more than Luton and Sheffield United. Uh, two more than Burnley. I just I think that they're in serious trouble, and and I think that they'll be the third ones to go down. I agree with you. I think uh, you know Nottingham Forest. They have spent enough money to stay up. I think Morgan Gibbs White is is becoming that player they thought he might be. Yeah. I was watching a match a couple weeks ago. I can't remember the opponent, but he, he his touch in close spaces was was phenomenal. Very impressive mm-hmm. to do that little Iniesta one you know one two shift to the other foot to a get out of trouble with two yeah. men, uh, to, and then play a, big, a nice long ball to to a runner. I think they'll be I think they'll be fine. And Fulham, you know, if I were them, I would spend everything in in January to bring in a striker. But mm-hmm. I think either way, I think that they'll survive. I, I think Bournemouth have just been so poor. Uh, I don't yeah. know they, they're the type of team that they could give up six to anybody. You know, I think Aston Villa <laughs> will put six past them. Liverpool, like all those teams in this league that that yeah. really score goals, it, they just always look vulnerable to that. But that also brings us, speaking of the uh, the teams that do score goals, uh, to the top six. And we could possibly do a top seven if if we believe that there's going to be that extra spot with the new Champions League reforms. Yeah. Um, I'll leave it to you if you have a definitive seventh. But um, do you want to – are you going to go top to bottom? Yeah, I'll – uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, top for bottom. I'm gonna go. Unless you'd want it, you'd rather end with the uh, champs. It's up to you. <laughs> let me, let me, let me go with sit like fifth to seventh first. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at the table, I do think. To be honest, with you. Ah, it's a tough one. I think United and Newcastle will be. Fifth between fifth and seventh, I'm not sure that Villa over the course of the season will will hold out. Um, but then you're looking at the other teams that may come in. If Chelsea go on a good run, they could creep in. But I just think Chelsea are going to have a an up and down season, um, which is fair enough under new management and a new a new system and new style of play and a lot of new players as well. So I think Chelsea. By the end of the season, we'll we'll look we'll look to build on for next season. But I, I'm not sure they'll they'll get top seven. Um, West Ham, Brighton. It's I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go fifth United, sixth Newcastle, um, and then I'm going to go with either West Ham or Villa for seventh. But I'm leaning more towards Villa, to be honest. Um, and then the top four will be as it is now. But I'll probably put Arsenal second ahead of Liverpool. Um, I'm undecided now who I think is going to win the league. But I'm going to go with City, Arsenal, Liverpool, Tottenham, United, Newcastle, Villa. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. yours? It makes sense to me. 
I have, I think that Chelsea will put it together, uh, but I still only have them seventh. Okay. Uh, I, I do think that they will find some consistency. They really do not concede goals. And if they can figure it out at the other end, I could see, you know, I think you're right that they're just going to lose matches here and there because it's just not there yet. But I have them seventh. I think Villa will be sixth. Um, I think they scored so many goals and that's what you have to do in this division now. I mean, there are a few teams like Chelsea, City, Arsenal, who, who, uh, have very good defensive records. Newcastle did yet last year, but for the most part, you know, you have to score three or four goals, a lot of games to win. Uh, and they have that ability. Uh, after that in fifth, I have Newcastle. I think that they will also, I think they'll go out of the Champions League and, and maybe focus their minds a little bit. Um, maybe their squad is not quite deep enough to compete in both those competitions. Uh, but I, I find it, you know, maybe they'll pull it off in that group of death, but hard for me to see that happening. And I think that will help their Premier League campaign. Uh, in fourth, I have Tottenham uh, on the condition that they... Uh, the, the injury situation improves significantly. And somebody like Mickey Van de Ven, even more so than James Madison, maybe, although he's been so good for them. But yeah. they need those that center-back partnership to be back there to play the way they want to play so high up the field. Van de Ven's pace was shocking to me when I started watching yeah, him. Yeah, deceptively quick, isn't he? So fast. And that's, yeah. you know... That's what Arsenal have when they play so high. You know, Gabrielle and Saliba are phenomenal athletes. You need that back there. And, and if they don't, I could see them slipping down to sixth or seventh. But I do think that if they get people back, they'll be fine. And, you know, Kyungman's son still scores when he wants. Um, and their keeper looks very good. I, I, yeah. I didn't know anything about him before this yeah, season. Not much about him either. Um, third, I have Liverpool. Uh, okay. I think... Same old story with them. I probably say it every week, but I just don't think they're athletic enough. Uh, but again, they score so many goals that they're going to win so many matches. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, you know, next next weekend when they play that early kickoff, much to Jurgen Klopp's chagrin <laughs> against Manchester <laughs> City, yeah, they, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. It could be a 4-3 or they, I think they could get a shellacking. You know, you, you just yeah. don't know. They do look more consistent this season, but I just think they need to bring in, you know, they needed a Caicedo. They needed a Moises Caicedo. Mm. I think they still do. Mm. Uh, And then I have to do it. Man City second and Arsenal first. What makes you, what makes you think you're going to win the league this season? And how confident were you that you, you would have won it last season? So going into last season, I was a zero out of 10 confident that we were, we were going to compete. I was looking for yeah. a top four finish. I just think last season we started out on fire and we played the best stuff maybe in Europe uh, for the first 60% of last season. Amazing to watch, maybe not sustainable, especially when you had such a shallow squad where there were only 12 or 13 players that the manager wanted to pick. It's a bigger squad now. Uh, we have, you know, a bunch of injuries that we've been carrying uh, throughout the season. We don't even think about somebody like Yuri and Timber coming back, but if he can come back and look healthy by March, 
That's a huge boost. If if we can get Gabriel uh, Jesus back and play that front line of Martinelli, Jesus, Saka, Declan Rice, I'm knocking on my wood desk that he mm-hmm. stays fit. He does usually seem to stay fit. Yeah. Um, I do think we have that problem where Thomas Partey is not there and we are missing something for that, and I hope that he can come back. But I just think the fact that Arsenal are not playing well but getting results is a huge hugely good sign you know that was when i started out as a fan in the late 2000 you know 2006 2007 2008 those were teams that played beautiful stuff but couldn't grind out results uh and didn't have that pragmatic side of the game and i I think the pragmatism is is coming first this season and i'm just hoping that city have that hangover or that you know slight even if you lose two percent of your edge um, that could make the difference having, having, you know, won everything there is to win last season. Mm-hmm. Plus they've lost a couple of the winners. And yeah. for me, you know, there's a lot of talent in the city squad, but Ilkay Gundogan, if you go back and look at these seasons where Liverpool pushed them all the way, Gundogan scored the winning goal, like every time, like every yeah. single, and sometimes it was across Riyad Mahrez, by the way, who's also gone, but <laughs> you know, they, they've lost you know, talent is one thing and they have winners and, you know, Julian Alvarez won the world cup. They have a bunch of players still there that have won everything. But I just think when it came down to it, you know, in these big seasons, it wasn't always Sergio Aguero who scored that goal. Yeah. Um, And I'm just hoping that maybe that 2% lost intensity and a couple of lost players that are more key than I think people in and around city and, and even observing the league have have really digested you know yeah i'm hoping that that's enough yeah no fair that's a, that's a fair outlook um i do agree that they have lost uh a little bit of that of that edge um in winning mentality um and they've bought new players who are now getting used to a new style of play so gavrido um playing at left left center back slash left back role is is new to him um, Kovacic, he hasn't fitted into into the Man City midfield um, seamlessly just yet. Um, Nunez as well. Um, Doku, he's flying, um, so I think he he's adding creativity and goals that they were they were they were lacking and missing. Um, Haaland as well, although he's got goals, he doesn't look as threatening, which could be a concern that once he's red hot, he, City could run away with the league, um, but. Yeah, I, I just, I just don't think Arsenal have enough mentality monsters to win a league just yet. But they're getting closer and closer with each year, and they're, they're getting more experience. Um, so, I hope genuinely that they do win it. Um, or no, I'd hate for Liverpool to win it, but I can't have City winning it again. Um, and I think yeah, Odegaard is a big is a big miss as well with that link in in your midfield and, and to attack. Um, yeah, just just gonna have to hope for injury-free season um, and a little bit of a blip from City. But on their day, I guess even with Arsenal, you could say that on their day they, they can wipe the floor of anyone. But they just have they have too much experience, and I think that's what's gonna count in the last month, you know, six weeks of the league. Yeah, well, we'll see about our how our predictions fare. We're, it looks like we're about thirty-one percent of the way through the season so that's our our one-third predictions uh but i guess we better do some international 
yep. stuff for the international break. <laughs> you know, as an as an American, it's pretty boring these days. Uh, I'm curious about England because I've seen such an outcry over, you know, what some people perceive as a very poor performance uh, already in this window, and you know the un uninspiring stuff that that Southgate sometimes goes for. I mean, wh where do you weigh in on on England? Um, I think England they've they've kind of got a new golden generation, so they should have. I think silverware should have been achieved by now. Potentially, that might be a bit harsh, um, but I mean, getting to a final is 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 great. So, not un unfortunate to 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 beat Italy uh, in the Euro final. Um, that was unlucky in the World Cup against against France as well. I think they were the, they were the better team for large parts of that game. Um, so they're getting close and they are building a very exciting side. I feel like Southgate's probably taking them as far as he can um, and a more um, a more attacking or more experienced international level uh, manager will probably you know take them take them over the edge to winning something um, but yeah I, I mean England get knocked when they beat these sides San Marino Malta six seven nil and they're told it doesn't mean anything. Let's see you do it against the big sides. And then when they have a comfortable 2-0 win against the same teams, it's like they haven't done well enough. Um, I, I just think, especially back home, the, the media is very harsh on the England team. Um, but he's trying new things. He tried training in midfield, um, brought in a few other new players. Um, uh, who played left-back? I think it was, it was Mitchell that played left-back. Um, Conor Gallagher was back in the side. Uh, Cole Palmer made his debut. So, I mean, these are kind of games that you want your manager to try things and experiment. So the fact that it was 2-0 and might not have been a 5-6 that we're used to, it, it was still an important an important game and to blood some of these youngsters and, and, and to try out some some deputants. Uh, in terms of what's going to happen in, in you know the next international competition, I think Southgate is going to have to be a bit more expansive. Um, going into into games with Henderson and, and Rice as both two sitting midfielders, it, it's not going to work. Um, there's just they, 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 I think Rice can do it, but Henderson can't do it both ways. Um, the, the game's a lot more fast paced. There's not that much of a gap, I don't think, now between club football and international football in terms of the pace of it. So <clears throat> I, I think he just needs to to trust some of the some of the younger ones, trust Foden, trust Grealish. Trust Saka um, and give them give them the reins to to really just go at these teams. Doesn't matter if it's a Brazil or Argentina or France or or whoever. Let these guys just go at at these teams, play their football, um, and yeah, and also not to have favourites, man. I, I can't be seeing Maguire starting every every game again, like regardless of what mistakes he you know he puts in. So I think those are the, those are the two things that Southgate probably need keep in mind but I do think he's probably taken the side as far as he can and hats off to him because he definitely seems like he's changed the whole atmosphere when it comes to England the, a lot of the players seem a lot happier um, there's less rivalries there's less egos it seems um, again this is all from the outside looking in we don't know if <laughs> this was an issue back you know with, with Beckham and, uh, and all those players but it does genuinely feel like they're a more united, united side um, playing together. So he's he's done really well. I just think we need need a new manager just to take it over the edge. 
Yeah, I do think what Southgate realized about that um, Beckham, you know, Skulls, Gerard, Lampard era is that you don't, at international level, you don't always get a good player at every position that neatly fit together in a system. Yeah. Sometimes you have to sacrifice a more talented player for a player that makes your system work. Now, I think he's probably been leaning on Jordan Henderson too long for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, you need more ball progression from deep midfield. I, I think that's maybe the biggest weakness in, in Declan Rice's game. That's something that he needs to learn, you know, that Thomas Partey brought to Arsenal last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and H- Henderson, he's just not at the level anymore. I mean, he's playing in front of 600 people, you know, yeah, every couple of weeks or whatever is going <laughs> yeah. on over there. Um, but... Yeah, I, I do think that he realizes that, you know, just because you have Jared and Lampard doesn't mean you should play both Jared and Lampard every game. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that they've improved through that and through realizing that at the end of the day, you can win international tournaments through set pieces and mm. through these very fundamental things because you have so little time to train together. So unless you're like a pure Brazil or, you yeah. know, Dutch total football it's unlikely you're going to stamp this, this, you know, universal philosophy on all the players that everybody can get into. Mm. Sometimes it is just like, we're not going to concede a goal and then we're going to get one when we can through Harry Kane or through slab head in the opponent's (laughs) box or whatever it might be. Um, I mean, there are, you know, England qualified at a canter. Uh, There are some interesting you know, tiny teams that are in the, you know, in the, mix. In the discussion. Yeah. Albania yeah. seems like they're pretty much there. Yeah. Uh, Moldova still have a chance. Kazakhstan have a chance. Uh, but on the flip side, you have teams like Italy that still cannot get themselves to an international tournament. And I think yeah. it's worth looking at that match that they have on Monday against Ukraine, which it seems like it's basically winner take all. I mean, I guess Italy could get through through the nation's league you know, nonsense that uh, there's some new way to get there. But, you know, what are you seeing in that match on Monday, which looks like it's going to be a lot of fun? Yeah, I think I haven't, um, I don't, I haven't watched too much of Ukraine, but I do know they've got some really good youngsters coming through. Obviously, Mudrik being being the standout one. Um, and he seems to thrive when he plays for Ukraine. Um, Dinchenko plays, plays more in midfield for them as well as the conductor. So, I think they've gone exciting. Is it Sevchenko's the manager? Is that right? He might be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, I mean, they've got a legend um, that's leading them, which will definitely give that extra, you know, morale boost. Um, yeah, and I think they've played, they've, they've, I've seen some highlights and they're playing attractive football. Uh, I think the problem with Italy, which kind of goes around to all of the, the big nations, is they're just going through a period where they haven't really got the players to to stamp their authority internationally. And I can't really think of any great Italian players out there right now. Um, their goalkeeper is, is, is good, but yeah, I just there's, there's no one there that really strikes any fear. They haven't got a world-class striker. They haven't got a world-class midfielder. They haven't got a world-class centre-back. Like what Italian side doesn't have a world-class centre-back or, or defender in their side? I, I just think they're going through a transition period. Germany are, are going through something similar as well at the moment. Um, yeah, just I just think I think it would be tough for them actually. I think that Ukraine game could could easily go um, go against them. Um, so it would be interesting to see. 
Yeah, it looks like uh, Shevchenko, after five and a half years, uh, or five years as manager, stepped down during their World Cup qualifying because they had okay, a poor okay. run. Um, but he was there for five years. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I love watching Zinchenko go play for Ukraine because, as you say, his his role completely changes. It's probably closer to his natural position. I think yeah. he's sort of been converted into these, the hybrid left-back role. Actually, I think by Mikel Arteta when he was an assistant at Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fun to see him go back and be a number 10 again. He certainly has the ability. And I think, you know, if, if things go well for them, they go through through him as much as, you know, it would be fun to watch, um, you know, some of their young kids do it as well. And like yeah. uh, Andre Yarmolenko, who was uh, West Ham uh, yeah midfielder for a while i think is their captain now so they've got they've got some decent they've got some decent players around there it's just insane to me to watch italy you know fail to qualify for two consecutive world cups then they in between they won the euros and then they're you know threatening to to not show up again yeah um i think you're right that they're they're just whole their holes in the squad i'm not the first to say they need a striker i mean have they had a striker since uh, you know, Balotelli, since Mario yeah, Balotelli. Balotelli Ch- yeah. Chiro Immobile has been in and around there, but he's yeah, not Bellotti, a top-level striker. Yeah. I mean, Skamaka, they're, they're starting number nine. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he got a goal against against England, I think, in the, in the last um, friendly or qualifier. But yeah, there's, there's, there's no one there that really, that you, you can think is a match winner for them. They have a lot of good functional players. I like some of their fullbacks. Um, Verratti, he's declined as well, so he was he was important for them a few years back. But yeah, just I think the the player that's on the cusp is probably um, Bastoni at Inter. I like him, but yeah, yeah, I wouldn't call him exactly a world beater or world class just yet. So yeah, there's there's a lack of of quality definitely in that in that side. Yeah, I think Federico Chiesa who scored. Uh, in their last match this week, scored a great goal, actually. Um, he, I think, you know, has a bit of that when he's fit for Juventus. He's, he's had a lot of problems with fitness, but I think he had a terrible injury about two years ago. Mm. Um, but I think he has a bit of that X factor. But other than that, I, I do think that, you know, they just don't, they don't have that figurehead striker, um, yeah. you know, the Luca Toni type. Uh, you know, or somebody who really runs in behind to stretch. I mean, I think Skamaka can do that, but, you know, he didn't really cut it in a West Ham team that was very poor last season. So you worry about them for that. But, you know, if I had to pick somebody, I would say that Italy will find a way. They they might have one or two, you know, difference makers in there, but I think it'll be fun to watch. The the other one, of course, this week is Brazil-Argentina, which is always a treat. That's yeah. going to be a late one for you guys in, in you know, on GMT. <laughs> but, um, you know, are you excited for that one? Lionel Messi goes down to the Maracanã. Yeah, I mean, I, I love watching South Americans play. Uh, there's just so much passion in, in everything. I saw the, the bust up Argentina had with, um, I think it was Uruguay recently, uh, a few days ago. So I, I think it will be highly contested. Um, a little bit sad that, that uh, Brazil aren't going to have their strongest side. Um, so... Argentina definitely favourites. Um, uh, Vinny's injured. Uh, Casemiro's out. Um, 
who else? Uh, I've seen that Gabriel's been playing, but he's been getting a bit of stick for his performance mm. in, in, in their game against Colombia. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've, they've still got a lot of attacking talent. So, you know, uh, Rodrigo's there, Martinelli, he's got a goal. Um, a, a face that I was surprised to see um, come on for Brazil was um, João Pedro from Brighton. Didn't know he was uh, he was in he was in the the Brazil squad, um, but yeah, I, I'm going for for Argentina. But I just think will be will be very contested, highly contested, fiery game. Um, and Messi will he still got it, so he'll probably come up with a goal or two or three. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean he. He is. I saw John uh, John Obi Bakel talking about it yeah. uh, this week, where he said, "I don't really understand the comparison between Messi and Ronaldo." And I've always felt that way, and it was sort of illegal to say it for many years <laughs> when the, it was, you know, all people wanted to debate online. Um, I just think if you watch this man play, I just can't imagine how anyone else compares. I mean, Maradona. I wasn't alive really mm. for it, but uh, you watch the clips. I see some similarities in their unbelievable understanding of the physics of the game. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that is why Messi, you know, obviously he stays fit. He's very professional. I don't think he's gone to a club his, enti- his entire <laughs> life. You know, he's on vacation. He's probably not <laughs> taking a break for one second, which is true of Ronaldo as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, it'll be fun to watch how he goes into that that hot house atmosphere and just does his thing because he knows where the ball is going to land and how it's going to land and how people are going to move around him before they do. Mm. It's it's like watching a different life form. Yeah. Uh, play the game. Yeah. But I do think Brazil. You know, it's it's an easy thing to say that Brazil are a formidable side, but. You know, yeah, they do have some issues with injury, but but even you know some of these guys that are coming out of uh, teams like West Ham, Lucas Paqueta coming out of, of West Ham playing for them, that's a quality player. Yeah, they, they have a lot of quality, um, Ooh, and I okay. I love seeing you know Endrick, the young kid in there doing his best Pele impression, creating that that <laughs> moment with that you know '60s polo shirt he wore. I love that. <laughs> And that tells you he embraces the the comparisons and the pressure. I don't know if that's ultimately going to work out for him to compare yourself to the guy who was, you know, the Pope, the footballing Pope. But I've also seen him. I don't know if you saw that clip of him in training, smashing the ball in off the crossbar from 26 yards or something. And uh, the other thing I loved, which I wrote about in the newsletter on Friday, was that fake shot he did uh, in the Brazilian Serie A where it's the ball is falling in front of him and he does this fake shot where he knees it off the ground. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Crazy. And that's why, you know, that's why people love watching the Canary yellow mm-hmm. of Brazil. Like people do uh, st- new things that's, that have never been done, you know, who represent that nation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's was, it was good to see that he's got his debut, um, which makes you think, are, are there any other young players out there that, that you think are, are destined for greatness? What's what's your what's your pick? I mean, I always say that Pedri, when I have seen him play, I guess mm-hmm. he's twenty now. Um, when I've seen him play, he seems like the extraordinary technical talent, um, you know, of the twenty and younger crowd. I saw something about a few other kids that are coming out of Brazil now um, mm-hmm. that are Hendrix generation. You have a few seventeen-year-olds that yeah. 
they're not knocking on the door of the national team like he is, but um, they're they're in and around there. But yeah, I think you know Pedri and Gavi at uh, Barcelona are the the kids I'm most excited about. I guess you know, can no longer call them kids once they fully play for Spain and Barcelona. Uh, <laughs> Lumine uh, Yamal is in that in that category too. Yeah. Um, yes, as much yes. as I love Jude Bellingham and I, and I love what he's doing at the highest level, um, I wonder if the ceiling is higher for some of these Spanish technicians uh, who are going to be doing their best Iniesta impression uh, over the next few years. But how about you? Yeah, and I think with someone like Bellingham compared to um, a Gavi and, and a Pedri, I think Bellingham will always steal the headlines because he will always probably get the goals um, more than these other players. But in terms of their, their mark on, on the game and their impact on a football game, I, I think they may have it over him. Um, but I don't know... The, Unfortunately, the, the way the game is going now, everything is all about stats. So I just think, you no, know, you no know, people like the Enyestas and Javis. If they were about this time, they would have been, they would have been criticised because they didn't get enough goals or they didn't get enough assists. I think Enyesta was someone that maybe got a handful of goals a game, like uh, a season. Um, he was he was more known for the pre-assist to the assist. Um, so I just think because the football's going more towards just how many. <clears throat> You know how, what you can do stats-wise, opposed to how you affect the game in other areas. I just think players more of the ilk of Jude Bellingham, of um, Vinicius. Um, I just think they'll they will be seen and, and and given more plaudits. Even Harlan, like Harlan, technically, after me, he's not great. You know, he he doesn't wow you when he plays football. He impresses you with, you know, his goal goal scoring ability. But other than that. He hasn't got much. I mean, his overall play is is one of his weaknesses, but he he's always going to be in that Ballon d'Or shout where you know more the more technical players probably won't. Um, I think I don't think you'll see ever Gabby in, in a top five for Ballon d'Or, unfortunately. Um, yeah, which is which is sad because that's what football's about. How how can you do something with the ball that no other person can do? You know, unfortunately, a lot of people mm-hmm. can can hit the ball in the back of the net, but. You know, like you said with Endrick, can you do a fake shot, control of your knee, shift it, and then bend around the keeper? That that is what football's about. Well, we'll see how they all do uh, over the next week in the international break, and uh, and next week as well in a pretty exciting run of fixtures. Uh, you got Man City, Liverpool to kick things off, oh, of yes. course, but Newcastle, Chelsea, mm-hmm. Tottenham, Villa, uh, Juventus, Inter, and uh, PSG, Monaco. Yeah, some some good games out there. Yeah. No, looking forward to that, man. Especially after just uh, the lull of uh, international football. But yeah, look forward to those games. United, we're playing Everton um, fresh off the their sanction. So they could come back with, with a bit of bite. Um, could be an easy, easy to get chipped up there. But yeah, some really good games. Looking forward to it, man. Yeah, well, we'll try and survive uh, yet another international break. And I'll, I'll see you next week. All right, bro. See you next week.